to understand the the idea of using the study guide, you're going to need to understand the idea of using a sword. Now, I wanted to bring my big sword, but uh, we couldn't get to it. It was like tucked away behind a bunch of boxes and such, and so I'll work a little bit more diligently to have it the next time I need it. But so Silas was kind enough to uh, let me borrow his. But probably one of the most known parts of the book of Ephesians is the armor of God. And in the armor of God, it describes the word of God as the sword of the spirit. It's very important when you're holding a sword that you understand how to hold it correctly. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Zorro, you know, he says, do you even know how to use that thing? Well, yeah, the pointy end goes in the other guy. But, <laughs> you know, pretty simple philosophy. But anyway, to honestly be able to hold something, you know, like a sword, you want to have a good grip. And if you look at your hand, your hand has five fingers, or at least hopefully it does. If it doesn't, you know, I'm sorry. But, um, but hopefully most people have five fingers on their hand. And you really need all five to give yourself a good grip. If I were to hold it, you know, with one or two or three, it just, it wouldn't have the stability of holding it with all five fingers. And so with when it comes to reading your Bible, the Bible expressly gives us five different ways we can grab a hold of it. And so, and I think it's important that as we, if we really want to be students of the Bible, if we really want to understand how to use our Bible, we need to understand all five aspects and apply them to our lives. And so, why don't you go ahead and we'll start going through. First thing that we need to do is we need to read the Ephesians. You know, and, and again, this has to do whether you're studying Ephesians or any other book. You need to read that book. One suggestion that I'd like to give to you is that you would try to read through the book of Ephesians at least once every week that we're doing this study. That means minimum you're going to read through the book of Ephesians 14 times. Now, um, I would, and I'd also suggest that you try to different translations. That if you have one that you really like, read through that one a couple of times. But, you know, try different translations. You know, try some that are going to be a little bit um, different from the norm, like something like the Message or um, the Living Bible. Maybe get some really, you know, more harder to read ones like the King James or uh, the New American Standard Version. You know, and so find find some that that will translate a little bit differently because, again, if you keep reading it and reading it and reading it through different translations, you're going to see it a little bit differently as you look through it through different eyes. It's actually a book that you can probably read if you're just to sit down and pick it up right now and try to read it. It's only six chapters long, so it's something that you could pretty easily read in about 15 minutes. So anybody who thinks they don't have time to read the Bible doesn't really understand how easy it is to read the Bible. So I'd suggest that you try to read through it like start to finish at least once a week. And then also spend time reading the daily, the daily, or the, sorry, the weekly assignment through, you know, every day just to get a better feel as you get ready to come and have us discuss it. Uh, so read your book. Second thing I want you to do is to memorize Ephesians. Now, you, there's a couple of different options here. Number one, you could try to read the whole book. 
There's 155 verses in the book of Ephesians. It's going to take us roughly 14 weeks to go through the whole thing. So if you dedicate to memorize about 10 or 11 verses every week, you're going to be able to memorize the entire book. Now, if that seems a little scary or daunting to you, uh, don't let that intimidate you. Pick one or two a week. Find, find one or two as you're reading it and just say, man, this one really spoke to me this week. I want to I grab a hold of this. Because, again, the Bible says that I hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it's, it's an important aspect. The next one is we need to study Ephesians. Now, that's what these books are for. I want you to use these books and just mark them up. Um, I've given you in your study guide an uh, idea of what to, what to look for um, and how to highlight and mark up your, your Bible just to give you an idea. And the reason why I gave you a study guide like this is some people are like really freaked out about writing in the Bible. And so I gave you a study guide that has the Bible in it so that you wouldn't have to feel freaked out. If you have a favorite Bible and you'd rather study with that Bible, you can apply the same stuff if you're okay with writing in your Bible. But um, just so it makes sense, I actually went through the first reading in the way that we have it laid out. So go ahead and throw that up there. Okay, so this is the um, reading for this week. And... In that, um, the first thing I tell you to do is use a red highlighter or colored pencil and mark all the references to God. Now, just looking right here, what are a few references that you see to God? God, okay, there's a good one. Father, all right. Jesus Christ, okay, good. Uh, <laughs> the Lord, all right. Um, I think, is there any he's or no, no he's. But like you would even mark down pronouns. Like he is the Lord. He and Lord would both be marked up. So you would mark all of them in red. Woo-hoo! Exciting stuff, huh? Okay, now the next one would be any references to the author. Okay, so... See any, Paul, all right, we got to go get her. Any others? Any other references? I, I am writing. Very good. All right. Um, And to be an apostle. apostle. There we go. So this is kind of cool. I can use a little pointer. All right, I might keep this. All right, so anyway, um, so that's references to the author. Next, any references to the recipients of the book? Faithful followers? Holy people. Uh, who might work, I guess. I didn't, I didn't highlight it. It's not going to pop up. Sorry. But, I mean, you could put that down. That would work. Got him. So, all right. So, the next thing I think I tell you to do is to mark down any keywords. Now, let's just stop and think for a second. If the series we're talking about is Grace Book, do you see any grace? All right. <laughs> grace would definitely be a keyword. 
Um, now, let me, let me explain to you how you would figure out what keywords would be. Number one, as you're reading the book over and over and over again, you should hear certain words repeated. Those would be key words. If there's a word that, that catches you and you're like, man, I want to understand that word better, highlight that too. So that as you're studying, you say, this is a key word for me. It doesn't necessarily have to be a key word for everyone, but highlight key words so that you are capturing the stuff that you want to capture out of the passage. So um, that's important. The next one is you'd mark down references to people. Now, the only person we have referenced here is Paul. And there's only, actually in Ephesians, there's only one other person referenced other than Paul and Jesus Christ. So, um, so we're going to be pretty scarce on the purple marker uh, for this one. But, but that's there, again, just as a guideline for maybe future. And then any references to places you would Good. Awesome. So that's how you do it. Now, another good thing is to ask questions when you're studying, too. And I, I think I put in there somewhere my three favorite questions. If I didn't, might be a good place to write it down. My fav three favorite questions to ask anytime you're reading a passage of Scripture are this. Number one, what does this tell us about God? Number two, what does this tell us about either man or myself? What does this tell me about myself, or what does this tell me about mankind in general? And then the last question is, how can I apply this to my life? Those are three great observation questions that you can ask of any passage of Scripture to be able to study it a little bit better. So there's all sorts of other questions you can ask. You know, I encourage you to find other questions or to make up your own questions. Uh, but whatever you do, just study it. Find a way to study it. Okay, so... Beyond that, meditate on Ephesians. What does that mean? That just simply means spend time thinking about it. You know, I if it's during your prayer time, if it's while you're driving, if it's, you know, you're doing dishes, you know, you should be getting enough Ephesians in you in the next few weeks that you should be able to just to be able to call up on it. Spend time just thinking about, man, I just read this. How, how does this apply? You know, that, those would be good times to use those questions as well. How does this apply to my life? What does this tell me about God? How do I, you know, how do I learn more about man through this passage? So um, meditate on it. And then finally, hear Ephesians. Good way to do that would be to come every Sunday night that we're doing the series. So, um, but yeah, and it's just the Bible says this, that faith comes by hearing in hearing by the word of God. Great way to bolster your faith is to hear Ephesians. And so, we've got our sword. Those are our five fingers. If we will study, memorize, read, meditate on, and hear God's word, it gives us a firm grasp on that sword. So, I'm going to put that down or else I'm going to be swinging it all night. So let's go ahead and jump into Gracebook. Let's log on. All right. First of all, we need some background information. I've given you a place to fill that out. If you haven't filled it out, I'm going to help you fill it out now. So background information. First question we need to ask, who is the author and what do we know about him? 
Anybody want to guess who the author is? Oh, awesome, Paul. Very good. So go ahead and go to the next verse. Okay, just just peripherally, just by reading this part, what do we know about him? That's that's yeah, very true. How, but right here, what do we see? He was chosen. He's an apostle, and his name is Paul. So, I mean, that's one way, just real quickly, when you're going to a passage, a book, to find out the author. Now, not every book is going to have that for us, but luckily Ephesians does have that for us. So let's find out a little bit more about Paul from sources, maybe included in the Bible, and also some outside. So why don't we go, let's, this is, uh, this is Paul. So he's just hanging out in prison with his friends right now. Um, so let's get some basic information about Paul. First of all, his hometown. His hometown was Tarsus, Sicilia. And um, the important thing to know about Tarsus is Tarsus was not in Israel. It was in Sicilia, uh, Sicilia, or however you say that. Cilicia, there we go. Um, and it was what would be in modern-day Turkey. The important thing to know about that is that made Paul a Roman citizen. Because he was born in Tarsus and not in Israel, he was a Roman citizen. This is important later in his life when he appeals to Caesar because only Roman citizens can appeal to Caesar. If you were born in Israel, you were not a Roman citizen. And so you wouldn't have that privilege. And so that saved his life in one occasion in the book of Acts. So just so you get a mental view, I'm going to throw up one of Paul's pictures. So right over there, the spinning star, that's Tarsus. And you can see Jerusalem there. Damascus, that's where Paul had his conversion um, on the road to Damascus. Um, all of these are major important cities to Paul. Rome, that's where he's actually writing the book from. Um, and then Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth, Colossae, Ephesians. Those are all churches that he spent time in. Okay, If not, also helped to create those churches. So go ahead and go to the next slide. So current city that he's now in is Rome. So while he's writing this book, he is in Rome. Okay, Relationship status. This is uh, sort of important, too. Put down, it's complicated. This is what we know about Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. Pharisees were expected to be married. However, when he was traveling, it was very apparent he was not married. As a matter of fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, I wish you were all single like me. Now, now obviously, he's not telling people who are married to get divorced or something like that. He's saying, if you're already single, you should, you should consider remaining single. So, and I'm, I'm not saying that's good advice right now, but if we ever, we ever talk about Corinthians, we will we'll walk through that. But anyway, so what makes this complicated is that because he was a Pharisee and it was expected that he'd be married, there's a chance he maybe was. Scholars say there's a good chance Paul at one time was married. Now, we don't know that for sure, but again, due to his status as a Pharisee, it was probable. Now, this means he was either divorced or his wife had died by the time he became a Christian. So we don't know for sure. 
That's why it's complicated. All we know is that at the time that he was a Christian, traveling, preaching, teaching, he was single. Okay? So, some personal information about Paul. His f he was formerly known as Saul. He persecuted Christians before he got saved. Um, basically, he would rather, at that time, kill Christians than preach to them. You know, some pastors feel that way, too. And um, he was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. So he was, he was a legitimate Jew. Even though he was born in Tarsus, he was legitimate as a Jew. I mean, the fact that his name was Saul as a Benjamite probably means that he had some kind of family ties to King Saul, the one that persecuted David. So um, he was converted by Christ. Nobody led him to the Lord. Jesus Christ himself appeared to Paul as in a vision after his resurrection and compelled him to follow him. And so um, the other important thing to recognize is that both Paul and the church considered Paul to be an apostle. Even though he wasn't one of the original 12 that were chosen by Jesus, it was very clear that he was considered an apostle. And so that's an important thing. Some activities that Paul did, he was into writing. We know that he wrote 13 books of the Bible, possibly 14. That um, the 14th one would be the book of Hebrews. That is contested. Nobody knows if he wrote it for sure. He, it's one, of the one book where nobody claims authorship to. And so we don't know who wrote it. People think it might have been Paul, but in some ways it strays from his normal writing style. But he, he's definitely, whoever wrote Hebrews was an expert in the law. And so it's a good chance, at least 50-50, that he did, but we don't know. So we know for sure, though, he wrote 13 books of the Bible. That's a pretty impressive resume. Traveling. Uh, you saw the map. He traveled all over. He went all over his known world at the time. He went to, there's biblical um, or references outside the Bible says he also went to Spain. He went to some other areas. So he, he traveled a lot. And this is in a day before cars, before planes. A lot of the travel was on foot. This dude you know, covered some ground in his day. The other thing he was really good at is church planting. Almost everywhere he went, he left a church behind. So um, college, his education here. He went to Jerusalem University. Well, I don't know if it was really called that, but he went to Jerusalem to study under a Pharisee, a rabbi named Gamaliel. He was one of the top rabbis in his day. Now, you need to understand this. Not just everybody gets to hang out with rabbis. It's just not, it's not like today, like if you find your favorite teacher, you're just going to go hang out at his church. To be someone who was taught by Gamaliel, you had to actually prove that you were worthy to be studying under him. So that tells us if he was one of the top rabbis and Paul was studying under him, Paul was a good Jew. He knew his stuff. He was well-versed. He understood what it was to be a Jew. He, he was trained in Jewish laws and customs. Even though he grew up outside of Israel, he was a Jew's Jew. He knew everything about the law. He knew everything about their culture. He himself, after studying under Gamaliel, would have the right to be called a rabbi himself, even though we never see that 
coming out of him, but he would understand the law that well. So position, we know that he was a tent maker. That was his, every Jew had, even if they were studying under a rabbi or something like that, they had a family line of work. Jesus would be an example of that. He was a carpenter. He learned how to be a carpenter. Even though someday he'd be the savior of the world, he still, as a good Jew, had to learn the family business. And so the family business for Paul was tent maker. There's several references to him, especially in Corinth, using his, his trade as a tent maker to survive there. So, so let's go on to the next question, which would be, who is it written to and what do we know about them? Again, any, any guesses as to who the book of Ephesians is written to? The Ephesians, wow. Indirectly us, but yeah, the Ephesians. So um, this is what we know just by reading Ephesians at the first part about the Ephesians. They were considered God's holy people, and they were faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So that's some, some simple stuff we can just get from just reading. Let's find out a little bit more about the Ephesians here. So, okay. Um, we're talking about the church in Ephesus specifically that he was writing to, more than just the Ephesians. And so uh, the birth date of that church is considered to be 53 AD. That's when Paul first visited Ephesus. He was in Corinth, heading back to Jerusalem, and he stops off in Ephesus. It says he preached there for about three weeks. During that time, he also brought some other followers, specifically named Aquila and Priscilla, and they stayed behind, and they continued the work there at the church. And so, um, and then you also hear that there's another point where Paul himself comes back and spends three years in Ephesus building the church there. Location. It was in Ephesus, Lydia. And this, again, would be another Roman province. And this is in also Turkey. Let's go ahead and throw that up. This is another one of Paul's pictures here. So this is Ephesus. And um, it was... At one point, it had a huge port, but by the time Paul was there, um, it had gotten really rocky, and it wasn't really w used well as a port, but it still had access to the Mediterranean, and it was still a huge hub of the Roman world. Okay, the other thing that we know about it is that the population was about 400,000 to 500,000. That was huge back then. It, that's huge now. Basically, that is about the size of Atlanta proper. Not including the whole metro area, but the actual city of Atlanta. Ephesus was about as big as Atlanta. Pretty amazing for their day. It was con I heard in my studies, I found that some said it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire, some say it was the third or the fourth. And so Rome being the number one. But so this was one of the biggest cities in the Roman world at that time. Um, about Ephesus, it was founded in 1000 BC. That, that would be the time where it was really, um, would say this was, there's settlements there for a long time, but the city of Ephesus, it would be said, started about 
1,000 years before Christ. Um, it was considered the capital of Asia Minor. Again, it was one of the largest cities there. Rome looked at it as their capital in Turkey. And the other important thing to know is that it had the Temple of Artemis, or as the Romans called her, Diana. And this was a huge temple. This was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana. It was huge. It was massive. It brought in a lot of money to Ephesus. Even when the port dried up, where people wouldn't go there often as a port, there were people that would come from all over just to view the temple, just to get trinkets about from Diana or Artemis, depending on how you, you know, whether you're Greek or Roman. But this was huge. The other important thing to know, because the temple was there, Artemis or Diana was considered the goddess of wine and fertility. And so basically prostitution was huge. There were paid temple prostitutes at this huge temple, both men and women. And so you can imagine that in that day, this would have been a hotbed of sexual immorality. This is important to know if, you, if you're planting a church there. <laughs> it's important to understand that this, is, this would be very similar to the Las Vegas of our time. Just would be considered a sin capital. So notable residents of Ephesus. Again, Paul spent time there, lived there for three years. Timothy, who the book of Timothy was written to, spent time there. John the Beloved, the one who wrote the book of John, the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived in Ephesus. If you recall, I believe it's the book of John, where Jesus says, man, look upon your mother, woman, look upon your son. He's basically trans, Jesus as the oldest son is transferring the responsibility of taking care of his mother to John the Beloved. So when John moved to Ephesus, Mary did too. And also Luke, the writer of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, lived in Ephesus at one point. John, Mary, and Luke were all buried in Ephesus. We, I know for sure we know where the tombs of John and Luke are. So I hope you're getting a sense that Ephesus was important. It, it was an important thing going on there. Um, if you look at Paul, John, and Luke, without those three people, almost the entire New Testament would be gone. And they all spent time in Ephesus. Some of John, John the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation were all written either in or right around Ephesus. So, I mean, this is, this is an important city. Okay, the founders of the church, again, Paul, Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla. So basically, Paul helped start it. Priscilla and Aquila helped to keep what Paul started going. And then this, um, this great teacher named Apollos came along and came to the city and started to help formulate the church. And so those four would be really the founders of the church in Ephesus. Biblical references to Ephesus. You find biblical references to the church in Ephesus in Acts, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and the book of Revelation. 
As far as I can tell, that is the most referenced church in the New Testament is the, is the church in Ephesus. That's, a, again, a notable thing. And so that's, these are some of the reasons why I said this would be a good book to start with as we're looking at exploring books verse by verse. Important people that were there, important things were done there. It was a huge focal point for both the Roman world and the church world. So when was it written? That's important to know, too. All right. So uh, first of all, we need to understand a little bit about what type of book it is. It is what we would call an epistle. Now, an epistle is basically just a fancy way of saying that it's a letter. You can go ahead and click the first. Sorry. So it's an epistle. There we go. Now, network, it was originally designed to go out to the people of Ephesus. But as with most of Paul's letters, it never stayed there. Normally, it would have been read there and then passed around to local churches. So it had, it had a network directly in Ephesus, but it also was expected to go out far beyond that. The date when it was actually written was about 60 or 8060. So um, about seven years after the church was founded. And it was it was written in prison in Rome. At this time, Paul was a prisoner in Rome and he was writing to the churches. And so that's that's important to know too. It'd be considered one of Paul's prison epistles. Several of Paul's letters were written from prison. Ephesus was one of them. Or sorry, Ephesians was one of them. So next question you need to ask is why was it written? If, if Paul's spending the time to write it, we should understand why. Now, a lot of Paul's letters were written to correct sin or to correct false teaching. The one thing that we know about Ephesians is that that wasn't here. The one thing that what really stands out is that Paul was writing Ephesians to strengthen and encourage the believers in Ephesus. That was the number one reason why the book of Ephesians was written. And again, if you didn't notice my cute little uh, confirmed guests down there, we believe that not only did Paul write the book of Ephesians, but that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It may have been a letter, but we believe that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so... So that's what we know about who wrote it, who it was written to, when it was written, why it was written, at least basically. So here's our reading for this week. And I'll just I'll go ahead and read it to you guys and um, really quickly discuss, because we've talked about a lot of this already. So anyway, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Go ahead and leave that up. So basically, as we look at here, we needed to find out who the book was written to, who wrote it, and, and we kind of have an understanding of why. You'll notice that, again, I've entitled our study Grace Book. Now, we picked it because it was cute, because obviously it was a 
way to play on Facebook and had a lot of fun creating the little slides that mirrored Facebook there. But the truth is grace is a huge, huge key to understanding Ephesians. You know, it's right there in verse 2. It's going to be, so second verse in, you're seeing grace. It's going to be in the last verse. And then in the first three chapters, you're going to see the, the word grace. So I'm giving you a, a key word right off the bat. I'm giving it away to you. It's free. You don't even have to pay me for this one. Grace is a key word. It will appear 11 times in the first three chapters. That's huge. That is telling us we need to pay attention to grace. Now, we're going to dissect this a little bit better in the time to come. But basically, let me ask you this. How many of you say you clearly understand what grace is? Okay. <laughs> At best, I'm getting kind of a uh, maybe. Well, I need to pull my hand down too. Because grace, grace is one of those things that we hear over and over and over and over and over again. We have amazing songs about it. There's cute girls that are named after it. There, there's all of this stuff, this talk in the church about grace. But if you were to ask the normal Christian, what is grace? I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a good, strong, biblical answer. Now, people have cute acronyms, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, that, that's cute. Um, yeah, and, and it's a good way to make grace an acronym. Um, I'm not trying to put that down. I'm just saying, but is that really what it is? The thing that we're going to see as we go through this, and if you really do a good study of the word of grace throughout the New Testament, we're going to find that grace is the cornerstone of our faith. That grace is what all of the apostles are saying. This is what we need. Without grace, we are not saved. It is by God's grace that his love was poured upon us. So in other words, if we really, really, really want to fall in love with who Jesus is, if we really want to be dedicated students, if we really want to be people who understand what it is to follow our God, we have to begin to understand grace. It's vital. Without it, really, everything else we're doing means nothing. It is the grace of God. That's why I chose the title. That's why I chose this book. Because it's going to walk us through some very delicate and important things. Again, the first three chapters is really going to dissect what grace is. What it is to have an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for us. The last three chapters is going to teach us how to live grace. How to walk it out practically day by day how to obtain it, how to give it to others, how to apply it to the church, how to apply it to every relationship around us. So this is what we're studying. I hope you enjoy the journey. It's going to be fun. I know I'm excited about it. But that's what grace is. It's an exciting journey. And the closer we get, 
the more we understand who Jesus really is and what he really did. Grace is that important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity we have tonight just to explore your word. God, we're not, we're not going to try to rely on the cleverness of man. Help us not just to be a gimmicky thing where we take pop culture and make something cute out of it. But I pray that we would really understand grace. That as we spend time and as we look into your word, as we explore who you are and what you've done, let us fall in love with you once again. Lord, when you, when you inspired John to write the book of Revelation, you said you had this against the Ephesians. They had forgotten their first love. A people who were taught so richly what grace was, and they had forgotten their first love. I pray that here in this room and anyone who might have the ability to hear this anywhere else that we would remember that we would allow your grace to change and transform us that we would not be satisfied just to walk this walk just to just to wander through life but that we would be consumed with your grace, that your grace would be what gets us up and what lays us down, that your grace would be the foundation, that we'd stop trying to struggle through life on our own, but that we would seek the grace to live, the grace to be the type of Christians you desire us to be, the grace to be the children of God that are pleasing in the sight of our Father. God, give us that grace. Give us a hunger for your grace. Give us an understanding, just a small bit, please, of what it is to be children of grace. We love you. We praise you. And we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. the author and the perfecter of our grace. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.